0: Hey pal! We're live pals, welcome to the latest edition of Hey Pal, I'm Coachable and uh, as always I'm so grateful that you've come along and uh, you're listening along and You've joined us once again because uh, we've got an absolute cracker of a guest this week. But before we get there, just want to thank you again for listening and for the reception from last week's guest, uh, uh, Bailey Cost from Optus Stadium. A really popular episode, really popular dude as well. So I'm not really that surprised. But um, I was, you know, a good chance to reconnect with a good uni mate and and have that insight in terms of what happens at that events level and, you know, all those little bits and bobs that go together to put on a world-class uh, event and facility and all of that sort of malarkey. So I'm um, really grateful for Bailey and his time and really grateful for all of your feedback. And uh, whether it is by message, whether it's on the social medias, whether it's on Instagram at hey Pal, I'm coachable. whether it's on X... X... At HeyPalPod, or in the uh, just the old fashioned, well, not really old fashioned, it's not, they weren't all of a sudden logging into their Google on the old Gutenberg press, but um, on Gmail at hey Pal, I'm mailable at gmail.com. I've really appreciated all the feedback. So, um, and starting to build, uh, you know, a really uh, good audience. Um, and I appreciate you listening. That's all I ask of you. But I'm gonna ask something else there. What a liar, what a hypocrite. I should go into politics. Too soon for that. Let's not talk politics. But um if you are enjoying what you're hearing, and you usually keep this at the end, the, the uh you know the, the trail off and people have already, you know, got their interview, they're like, cool, thank you very much. This is the Fast Fooder Podcast, got my interview, I'm out. Don't try and sell me any of that dessert afterwards at the end, all that does oh what's that? The dessert? It's Brussels sprouts because all you're doing is shilling stuff. Too bad you have to have your Brussels sprouts right now because I'm going to ask you very kindly if you're listening along. A okay, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Appreciate the effort and uh, appreciate being part of your weekly podcast earhole rotation. But if you're digging what we're doing here, please um, share it with your mates. Whether that's literally on social media, well, there's nothing really, I guess, literally on social media, but. You know, share a link to the show, share a link to the episode, share a link to an episode you've liked so far. Um, uh, whether or not it's just give us a, an old tag ski on the social media, so or just at the old water cooler at your work if your work still has a water cooler. Is that still a thing? Water cooler talk, but please share the good word. Um, if you're just happy to listen, happy with that too. But um, how we can build upon what is already an autumn, uh, an autumn, an autumn audience. Hopefully, it goes more for more than four seasons. But um, that would not be possible either. But anyway, let's not get all, um, you know, meteorological here um, or paleontological or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's a great way to build this great audience we already have. And uh, yeah, um, if you feel we've earned it as well, um, our review on any of those podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, uh, iTunes, what have you, um, makes all the algorithm boffins happy. So uh, again, thank you so much. And today... Um, I'm not going to chew your ear too much more off here because uh, we've got a really great interview here with Jacinta Govind. Now, uh, um, Jacinta, or a, a squin, as you'll hear me call her 37 million times in the interview, um, is a, say a former basketballer, but I guess that's technically right. But uh, with WNBL experience, NBL1 experience, um, and now is just a really highly regarded and esteemed commentator for the NBL1 East also just, you know, just churning out quality podcasts out the wazoo as well um, with East Scott Game and Shooting the Breeze. Uh, a really highly respected, informative, um, just a really enjoyable commentator to listen to in the basketball community. So it was a great chat. Um, the premise of today's show was that uh, Squin was going to coach me up on the WNBL Uh and sort of get me primed and prepped for the season that's about to begin. I'm just looking through social media today and seeing my beloved Perth Lynx going through their photo day and sharing all that on the Instagram. So it's getting close. The the palp- palpable tension and anticipation is there for the WNBL season. And it's going to be great. But also we talk a little bit about her life and how she got into basketball as well. So it's a great chat. There's a lot to it. Hope you enjoy it. Without too much further ado, here we go. Our interview with Jacinta Govind. All right, this week's guest is, uh, as I mentioned before, someone that I've been trying to get on the line for quite a while. He was very instrumental in the beginnings of this podcast, which we'll touch on uh, throughout the course of our um, conversation here today as well. But I'm super stoked to have Jacinta on the line here to Coach me up on the WNBL women's hoops in Australia. Um, just pretty much for me, and I'm not sure this is going to sit comfortably with her, but to me, the guru and someone that I've leaned on a lot in the last couple of years um, entering the basketball community. But um, obviously, former player herself, um, or the host of two really awesome podcasts, Shooting the Breeze and East Scott Game. I've got the one and only Jacinta Govind-Squin. Hey, pal.
1: Hey, pal. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, a little peek behind the curtain. We were supposed to start this interview about two hours ago and we've just been catching up. So obviously you've got such a unique perspective, um, not only as a commentator and analyst and just uh, all those podcasts now about the game, but with your background and your career as well. i got to ask you, where did the fandom start as a child in terms of sport and and basketball? How did you get into the great game?
1: Yeah, I was really lucky actually because – I got into basketball and by, by way of an accidental perfect storm. I okay. think. Yeah, I think the, the universe kind of put basketball in front of me and then it just the path just opened up. So the time I started to get into basketball, uh, my older brother, he's like a good seven and a half years older than me. So I started playing when I was eight. Um, But even before that, our mum used to take us to Sydney Kings games when we were kids. Um, It used to be at the Sydney Entertainment Centre back in the day, but that's no longer standing. And so we used to go to Kings games all the time. Uh, It was uh, the mid-90s. So basketball. Peak of basketball. Pardon?
0: Peak of that NBL, sort of that, that first golden era, so to speak.
1: Yeah, so basketball in Sydney was really popular. So the Kings games were always packed out, big atmosphere, um, lots of crowd activation. You know, that's where I learned what the Mexican wave was when I was a kid. (laughs) Having said that, though, I never saw the Sydney Kings win a game until the Brian Gorgia era when we went three-peat. So it was still packed out despite Sydney being the wooden spooners in in the 90s when me, my brother and my mum used to go. So that was probably my first taste of basketball and I think mum used to take us because she was always uh, interested in sport anyway, but it was really my brother who was the driving force. So he was, you know, like in year eight, year nine at high school by this time and it was the height of 90s NBA. So he was a big NBA fan. He was a big Penny Hardaway fan. Oh, yes. Yes. So and being the the older sibling that he is and me being the young one, obviously I just soaked up everything that he liked. He had posters in his room. Yep. Um, so that was a big influence. And then what a year later, a brand new basketball stadium was built across the road from my house.
0: Oh, that's handy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had a choice of starting uh, dance classes or starting learn to play basketball. And yep. I also have an older sister and she was a dancer so I was like, well, I'll, I'll do right by her and try dancing and hated it. Not the actual dancing, but the girls were mean. And uh, yeah. I didn't feel like even as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, no, nah, I'm uncomfortable here. So I gave that up and gave basketball a shot. And that's, that's pretty much how it all started. So I started playing social comp, um, started playing reps. And because it was so close to my house, I mean, it was easy so, so accessible and I could just walk there in at high school and stuff so that's how it all started that triangle of going to Kings games having an older brother who was into the NBA and uh yeah at a basketball stadium opening up across the road
0: yeah and for um risk of having all the Perth Wildcats fans just hate on you you are still a Kings fan um were there any other like teams so obviously. Uh, your brother was into uh, Penny Hardaway. Um, That was a painful time for an Orlando fan because it looked like they were onto a dynasty there. And then MJ comes back and goes, nah, it's okay. I'll just uh, do that. And they also did show up against Houston as well. That didn't help. But um, what was that sort of the team you sort of fell into there? Was obviously the Kings. Did you have a leaning towards the Magic? Or are there any players or teams that you really gravitated towards as a fan?
1: Oh, you have a good question, actually, because while we still went to the Kings games, the Sydney Flames used to play uh, before some of the Sydney Kings games. Yep. So I actually used to really like the Sydney Flames as well. And that was the time where they were wearing those navy blue bodysuits with the fluoro orange trim. And some games I remember we used to park next to a player's car and I just used to get super excited by like, oh my God, that's Annie Lafleur's car. Yeah. And... So I used to be really into the Flames and I think around that time as well, because we had the brand new stadium open, we had a really good board of directors and GM who really knew what he was doing when our club first started. Uh, They used to get a lot of basketball camps running in the holidays and sometimes on the weekend, but mostly in school holidays and the Kings and the Flames used to come up and run those camps. There were times where the Boomers used to run a couple of camps when I was a kid and Heaps of preseason games. We had a WNBL preseason tournament at my home court in Terrigal. And there was like a Brisbane team, the Sydney Flames, Melbourne Tigers, and one other team. And we were floor wipers for that. Like that was insane. Yeah. Like we were, could watch that right in front of us. Um, probably why I harp on so much now about how important female representation is for kids. So it obviously rubbed off on me, but it was the Sydney flames that were my favorite team. And if I had to pick an NBA team, because I think my brother kind of just made me, I chose the New York Knicks just because um, I thought New York sounded cool. And I had no like emotional attachment to them whatsoever. Yeah. It's like New York is,
0: it's like this like um, idyllic place when you're younger it's like wow new york uh, i was, almost went to simpsons mode but we we could derail a whole podcast with simpsons references uh, and i think we did that on commentary uh, once or twice too but yeah, we did. <laughs> um but like new york just seems like this idyllic place and like i think that's part of the reason i go for the rangers in the nhl cuz i don't go for any new york teams I'm like i've got it cuz it's like the place but um new york in the uh mid 90s as well you would have had patrick ewing john starks pretty handy solid um squad there as well again one of those ones that in another era probably would have got a few rings you would think as well um you mentioned obviously that uh you know fate played its hand about having the stadium come uh, across the row from you and having those awesome experiences with you know not only your brother and your and your mom as well going to the games the actual game itself of basketball what do you think um it is that that, you, that really appeals to you about the, the game itself? Because it's all of the things for this, you know, perfect storm of events to happen and go, well, there's a basketball stadium here, we're going to the games. But to actually become so invested in playing, what's what's the beauty of the game to you? And that's a very open-ended question.
1: No, you know what? It's a good question because I don't think I've actually properly thought about it until you asked this question, like, in preparation for the episode. I think as a kid... Like, I, I, I can't recall why I actually liked it as a kid. Like, I don't know why as a kid I, I liked it. Um, but from reflecting upon it now as an adult, I think what I really liked about it is going from that environment of a dance class where kids were really, like, not very nice to me and I never felt comfortable and I never felt um, comfortable to do what I wanted to do in a dance class, so to speak, I went from that into a basketball environment where I had a really lovely coach who was very accepting and very attentive to all, everyone in the team to make us better because we're all learning. Yep. And then some of my friends started playing and then I may have started making other friends. Um, having said that though, the first team I joined, they weren't very nice to me. And then I, I joined a second team that had a coach and that's kind of when I was on my path of friendship, so to speak. Yep. Um, But I think, yeah, I think it was a lot of the social stuff and then me not realising that I was actually, like, pretty good at it. Yeah. I think think it was probably the first sport I actually properly played. Like, I don't think I even really played sport in the Oval at school, in primary school, because I started playing basketball when I was eight. So I was in year three and, you know, I used to do school dancing and stuff um was probably too young to have any school sporting teams before the time I started playing basketball so I think I was just very lucky as well that I was good at it yeah um well so I was told um (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I think a, a mixture of that and luckily having the right people around me at the start I think I just kind of kept going and I think it also gave me just something to do because our club at the time were running really good learn to play and skills development on a weekend so it was just the thing to do on a weekend with my friend that lived around the corner we would just go and and do learn to play so I think it was just very lucky it fit into the lifestyle and funnily enough now as an adult because you always try you had I had the period of my life where I played very competitively and then you kind of flirt with the idea of going back to play NBA 1 or semi-pro or whatever. Yeah. And the thing that brings you back into playing now as an adult is the same thing as why I liked it when I was a kid, is that the social environment, the connections you make with people you probably wouldn't have other, uh, otherwise met if you had not gone to that one Sunday scrimmage or played in that one social comp at a different club. So, yeah, yeah I think that's kind of why I stuck around.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, we're all glad you did. And you've mentioned about the welcoming part of that team. I mean, we we're huge, um, I guess, advocates of how wonderful the Australian basketball community is now as well. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because I, I don't think, well, it was definitely not in our prep, but I've never ever got around to asking you about that because, you know, um, in terms of NBL one, because as you said, you know, it wasn't too long ago that you were still playing at a really good level that you just, and but obviously now doing commentary and podcasting and, and just sort of that analyst role as well on the NBL um, one show. I'd always wondered if you'd ever thought about, you know, getting back into um, a, that, that sort of environment as a player, but um, as you say, I guess, and we had a chat before this as well, how your priorities sort of change as life goes on more of a general life statement. Um, and, you know, that social aspect to it is just still, you still feel that around the NBL one as well, but yeah, you just, your priorities change. But it's great because, uh, I mean, even then you mentioned about um, um, the school carnivals and things like that. And I don't know how it was for you in in New South Wales there, but I find that these days now in the school programs, they do a lot more inter-school stuff earlier in the development, whether that is year three or year four, because I know here in Western Australia, it seemed as though it was like year six, seven, and around that mark is where you're actually allowed to interact with other people for, for actual team games. But um, you did mention there about you know you 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 started playing reps, started playing states and things like that. So tell us a little bit about the the playing side of your career. Um, I know this is a conversation about coaching me up on the WNBL and and where we are at the moment, but it's super important to find out not only about the the people that we're learning their expertise from, but I think it's a really important part and and interesting part of the story to let us know why you are. Um, the expert who's coaching us up here. So tell us a bit about your career, please, Gwen.
1: Yeah, asking, why are you the way you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> but I just don't have a leather couch to like just go, why are you the way you are? And I just get my notebook out. But yeah, how did you get here? <laughs> Record scratch. You're probably wondering how I got here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like a, a bit of a sitcom, isn't it, when you put it that way? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I played... Yeah, started playing when I was 8 and then by I think when I was 10, so my, my really nice coach that I had when I first started playing, she was also coaching the under-10s rep team. And so after playing social comp with her for a couple of years uh, and she was still with under-10s even though I was 10, they were actually playing in an under-12s comp. So she's like, oh, you know, do you want to come along and give reps a go? And I remember me as a kid... Going to social comp and seeing all the rep kids wearing their rep jackets to their social game, and there was just such an air about them. And you really wanted one of those jackets, it was so cool to play reps. Yeah, it was such a big thing. And the jacket I still got my rep jacket, and they're so ugly, but I love it. Oh, what? <laughs> why is it ugly? Is it the color scheme, or is- oh, it's just such a classic 90s, like the really rough. Um, very flammable i'm imagined fabric oh, yes, that they used yeah. to use on those jackets <laughs> um they don't have any shine or anything they're just really rough and i think the body was bright red and then it had like the really v kind of style on the sleeve to be yellow and black and then cool. you had your name stitched on the back which was the coolest bit
0: that is cool that is yeah, yeah
1: that was cool so she's she introduced me to reps first and then the next year i made the div one team and again very lucky matter of is that my age group was really talented. So under twelves, we won country championship. We came second uh, in the state that year, and I still remember we lost to Illawarra by four at Minto, and it was the same day that Princess Di passed away.
0: <laughs> oh wow! Is that yeah. do you reckon that's why you remember it, or more so the basketball game itself?
1: Um. I actually remember the basketball game more because yeah. when it was the anniversary of Princess Di's passing this year, my friend texted me going, do you remember this was the day that we beat you in the under 12, sp- in the under 12 state final? <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap, it was too- Wow. Yeah. Just been um, holding
0: onto that text for 26 years there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry, exactly. sorry, I just
0: aged you there as well. But I mean, okay. Princess Di you know, kind of ages the podcast as well there, but from that time then you working through the under 10s and under 12s and then that area there with your rep jacket um
1: yeah beautiful rep jacket maybe i'll send you a photo of it when i go to my mom's house tonight like you can you can post that on your so paypal socials if you want oh
0: yes no without (laughs) without question that is definitely going up there so yeah because and i just want to see it now i just want to see the um this is like the the v's on the side there i reckon it's gonna I reckon it's like racing stripes from the sound of it. It's just oh, the it so red makes sick. it go quicker. Yeah. But yes. So, but you uh, obviously kept progressing because um, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about your basketball career part of it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Just uh, followed the natural progression of going from reps. Reps. I played reps with the same club from 12s to 18s. I played for New South Wales country at 16s and 18s nationals, again, with very talented teams. Um winning silver and bronze medals at those competitions then you know when you get to under 20s they combined new south they used to back in my day combine (laughs) metro and country together and I was like there's no way I'm making that team so I moved to the ACT early so I could qualify for that team and played under 20s for ACT but by that time I was already planning to go to the ACT for university and anyway and I wanted to be in the ACT Academy a Sport Basketball Program. But the year that I moved there, uh, the basketball program was no longer running. So oh. <laughs> um, just as well, Canberra is also a great basketball hub and their social comp is run a little bit differently and way more competitively. And they had an ABA team, which is now NBL1. Yeah. So that put me back on the pathway of playing WNBL because since I was... 13 or like since I was 12, 13, all I wanted to do was play WMBL.
0: That was it? That Um, was the driving goal?
1: Yeah, I actually wanted to make the AIS so badly. This is an embarrassing story, but I'll share (laughs) <laughs> so badly that in year seven, when we had woodwork and we made a pencil box, I decorated mine with the AIS logo. Oh, hey. I wanted that's
0: to embarrassing. Make
1: that. I think That's embarrassing.
0: I don't think that's embarrassing. <laughs> it
1: was at the time. Mate, I got so chewed out by that, by my classmates. Oh, my God, why would you want to put that on there? <laughs> I was so self-conscious about it, but it was really important to me. And i that's mm. how much I wanted to make the AIS. Um, but I didn't, and that's okay. found myself in Canberra anyway, and... Found myself as a development player for the Canberra Capitals instead.
0: Yeah, I mean things happen for a reason, and obviously, just being there in the ACT definitely put you on the radar with, with that competitive um in that competitive league there. So, um, how was that like being a, a DP there and, and getting to I guess experience you know that that dream of yours to be part of a WNBL squad?
1: It was crazy because. Like I said, that was that was my dream as a kid. And you were I was working for it my whole childhood and teenagehood and young adulthood. Yep. So to actually get there and then be coached by one of the best coaches Australia's ever produced in Kerry Graff it was yep. mental. Um and you know what actually, had I not made that move to Canberra, I don't think I would have played WNBL because growing up in New South Wales, again, very talented age group. People in New South Wales and coaches in New South Wales already thought that they knew me and summed me up and that wasn't going to give me any more opportunities to make WNBL. So it's just as well that I yeah. went to Canberra, had a whole different set of eyes, different coaches working with me, different community um, to give me that opportunity. It really put me under the nose of, of the caps. and. Yeah. While I was there and I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of the Caps somehow, I actually didn't make any active moves. I was just focused on playing really well in in ABA. Yep. Um, and I played, I think, three years of ABA and by the year uh, that led me into being a DP with the Caps, I was playing a much bigger role and I was, yeah, obviously playing pretty well. Yep. Um, And so it was the right timing. But what was really actually unfortunate was that at this time in my life, basketball was starting to become a chore.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Um, I actually wasn't enjoying playing. Despite playing so well, I actually wasn't enjoying playing. And I think sometimes I played well because I wasn't enjoying it. Like it was almost like an outlet for my negative emotions and I just happened to play well. So it was a bit of a confliction.
0: Um, why did you feel as though it was a a chore at that stage
1: I think like I'd been doing it for so long without a break yeah Uh, and when you grow up and that's all that was all I knew growing up like who was I without basketball what was I going to do with myself if I wasn't playing basketball was just as normal to me as going to school or you know cooking a meal and going to bed, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's just what you all you know. So quitting was never or taking a break was never thought of as an option. Like I, not to the say that it wasn't an option, but it never occurred to me that it would be okay if you had a break. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I just wasn't in, enjoying it anymore. I really needed a break from it. But at the same time, I was playing well, and then I had the opportunity to make the WNBL, which is like, well, this is the whole reason why I've done this for the last <laughs> two decades decade and a half yeah so yeah it was just uh, it's unfortunate but once i got there on paper you know it's so easy for people whether they're fans uh whether they're in alternative media like us yeah whatever their relationship to the game is so interesting when people have you know particular ideas and expectations of people who are making their professional debut Um, yeah and it's so easy to think that that transfer from NBL one to WMBL or NBL is easy because it's easy on paper, right? One follows the other. Yeah. It it's is, the
0: logical progression.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it is the logical progression, but people got to understand that when you progress from that one level up to the next, it is really hard. Like it is yep. so different. Like even when you go from playing youth league to playing NBL one, it is so different. Like the physicality, the level of fitness that these people are like, there was one training session where we were scrimmaging and I was back on defensive transition because Nat Hurst had the ball in transition. So I was back and no joke, Eric, I was full sprint. The And I'm pretty quick and I was full sprint busting my legs to keep up with Nat Hurst to stop her on defensive transition. And she just kept coasting past me. And I was like, "My, I'm in physical pain, <laughs> trying to keep up with you." And she just kept going. And then I was just like, "Oh wow, this is, this is the like, this is what it means to play professionally. Like that yeah. level of fitness just blew my mind. It was really, really cool um, to get to experience it and see what it's like. But what it was like to be a professional then is very different to what it's like to be a WBL player now.
0: Oh yeah, I, I'd imagine so because um. Because obviously they still have those those DP pathways and we've we've seen that work well for um even Chloe, who was our first guest on the show, um Chloe Forster. So it's just it's interesting seeing that the pathways are somewhat similar, at least out from the outstanding, but maybe um and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it just seems that there's more tools to assist the development and more mechanisms along the way um that have that sort of make that transition a little bit easier. But as you say, whole different kettle of fish still. Um, any highlights that you would have had there from your, your time? Do you recall, you know, your debut or anything like that, that, you know, that that moment of a guess making it, whether or not that is the debut or whether that's the, you know, getting the contract or what have you?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, my highlight was scoring my first and only points as a WNBL player. <laughs> It was uh, a home game when the Canberra Caps used to play at Tuggeranong. Yep. And what used to happen was, if we were up by twenty, then the other players um, that were like the say tenth, eleventh, or eleventh and twelfth players, they used to get court time. So I'm like, right, if we get up by thirty, that's when I get to go on. Yeah. So we were actually playing the Perth team at the time. So as you know, the in the WNBL, Perth have gone through a, a bunch of different. Facelift, so they were the yes. links, and then the breakers, the, and then the West waves. Coast waves, and yeah. then the the links again. And I can't recall what they were called at this time. This was the oh seven oh eight season.
0: That sounds wavish I
1: virtually. think I think the West Coast waves. I think.
0: Yeah, but yeah, no, we we just go through a lot of phases here in in WA. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you really like to change it up, change it up a little bit. Uh, I mean, we voted,
0: we voted to leave Australia in 1933. So we definitely like to just put, throw a cat amongst the pigeons when we get bored. So no wonder our basketball teams are similar. I mean, we're only oh. red because of Coca-Cola for the Wildcats, but that's another story for another day.
1: Yeah, right. I didn't know that, actually. Um, well, that's
0: what um, <laughs> It might have been an old wives' tale, I've been told, but I'm pretty sure it's we got the sponsorship we as in me at the front office obviously but the wildcats got their sponsorship with coke i think in 94 or 95 and part of that then started move to the so the red and the black now to try and be in line with coke and and obviously uh there was a team out chicago way that was pretty good in red and black as well at that time but um but yes anyway sorry i had to cut you off there because i just wanted to make fun of my own state for a moment
1: <laughs> that's totally fine. I didn't know that uh, fact about WA wanting to not be a part of the country anymore, so that's, that's well, pretty interesting. We
0: voted for succession, but it then got denied by government. By and Don't get me wrong, even though it felt like we were a different country the last couple of years. Um, I'm glad we are still Australian, but I think the federal um, government said, oh, yeah, good vote, too bad, it's not binding, and then moved on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's all it that was
1: um but yes yeah, so, so yes this- you're yeah, you're, I- you're
0: ready to go 13th and 14th ready to come 30 points up yeah
1: yeah so yeah home game at Tuggeranong home crowd up by 30 points and Graffy's like Squin let's go and I was like oh shoot here we go so um I got on uh we, pl- we- they were the Perth links at the time so I got on played against the Perth Links, and it was really cool. I was—I just remember I was really nervous as well because I used to struggle a lot with performance anxiety when I was a player. And again, hindsight should have addressed that. I probably would have played longer, but uh, I just remember running down the lane and Hurst, Nat Hurst is like, Squin, you got to turn around, like turn around and, and catch the ball like you normally would." Okay, okay. Like I was just so nervous. Yeah. But it was really cool because we we're up and I was getting some decent minutes at the end of this game. And Abby Bishop was making so much effort for me to at least get a shot. So it was like on the right-hand side in the wing. I think I'm trying to – I can't quite remember what the play was, but she was working really hard to get me open. I think she maybe even set me a pick. And then the defense played off me, so I put up a three and it went in. And the place just erupted. (laughs) Like I felt like a – like a small animal when the headlights come on and they're just really like stunned because I didn't expect <laughs> that so I the shot when I was like yeah I was sick the shot went in and then everyone was like yes and I was like oh my god and then I was so disoriented. I'm like wait what do I do what do I do I need to go play defense who am I defending oh mate it was so funny but um it was just so cool that the Canberra Caps fans are really good for that like they're very loyal to that club yeah. Um they will love every player equally from their starting point guard to and their imports to their DPs. Like they really, really get behind everyone. Yeah. So for that to be the reaction, like that was amazing. Um but yeah, that was the highlight. Getting my first points, then it was a three pointer.
0: Yeah. And that's I mean, uh, I know that you're probably a bit more humble about it than and <laughs> like but to to i guess make it in that manner and when you had that dream and that goal from such a young age it would have been really rewarding and you know everyone's careers look different some people uh you know championship players some people um are a season some people don't get on the court at all even as a dp um to have that moment would be just awesome to have in the bank you know so i'm stoked and i'm glad that you told that story as well and i'm glad that the caps fans were really good about it um After your time there, you did still play a little bit of um, uh, pro pro ball, I guess, um, um, after the fact. So what did that sort of tail end to the actual playing um, stuff look like?
1: So actually, unfortunately, I played that one season and then I went to play for the Forestville Eagles in Adelaide for the semi-pro season, like for the off-season. And that was the first time I played for a different semi-pro team other than Canberra because I didn't even play – ABA at home Um, we played state league which is a level below ABA and that was still that was still good and competitive and was good for me at the time and that was what was available for me at that time Um, so I played for Forestville but I was still struggling with the whole um, feeling like basketball was a chore like not enjoying it really conflicting again because every when everything's going in the right direction and in the way that you always wanted it to go but you don't like it anymore like that's a really tough thing to face so I went to Forestville in another great club great people involved the club my teammates were really really lovely um but just not enjoying playing yeah so um it got to a point where I was like coming home after games really miserable um and like I like I said struggled a lot with performance anxiety we used to dwell a lot on how I performed, um, outcomes of games, all the mistakes I made, that kind of thing, mm. and not so not even just when I was playing ABA. Like this goes back to when I was like under 14s. Like this yeah. was a career-long thing. So, yeah, I just remember being really miserable when I was playing in Forestville and um, I just had to call my siblings because I was just like I think I just I don't think I want to play anymore. And that had thought had never crossed my mind. And like I said, never thought that, hey, maybe taking a break is an option. I was Mm. kind of a little bit of all or nothing because this is what you grew up knowing, right, is that you play basketball and that's all you do. So I had to call my siblings and I was like, I don't think I want to play basketball anymore. Like, is that really bad? And I was very emotional to them on the phone. And they're like, you know, that's that's okay to have a rest. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's why I kind of came to terms. I was like, I just don't think I want to play it anymore. Um and then what happened was I kind of made that resolution with myself and then I actually started playing really a lot better than what I was. So you know, go figure. (laughs) Then there was one game where I grabbed a rebound um and it was very physical rebound. And on the way down I managed to pass it out, but I still hit the floor. And I hit the floor like I fell on the ground on, on my side and actually hurt my knee. Yeah. Pretty bad. So I kind of took that as a sign of like, maybe it is time for me to have a rest. Like yep. maybe I can just use this as the the reason to have a rest and stop because Graffy actually invited me back to be DP again at the caps. Like I was going back. That was the plan.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, But part of me was really relieved that I was injured because then it was easier for me to say to Graffy, oh, I won't be able to return. And she's like, that's okay. Just come back when you're ready.
0: So you still had that option. Uh, yeah. So that was what I was going to ask there, like, so they were um, happy for you to, you know, rehab, recover, but still there was a place for you. But you thought maybe that was a, a sign or an opportunity to have that that break.
1: Yeah, so for me, I was relieved. I'm like, I've got an excuse not to go back now and not feel like I'm just quitting. Yep. Um, so it was almost like having a press release version of, oh, I had to stop playing because I was injured when I was actually, <laughs> I just didn't enjoy it anymore and I needed to yeah. admit it. But the other thing is, like, you see a lot of players with much more severe injuries than me that at the time, you know, they go back to those clubs, the clubs support them through an ACL injury. Mm. Again, back then I was pretty I was pretty naive and dumb when I was, like, late teens, early 20s, I'm not going to lie. But I didn't even think, oh, hey, I'm injured. I could still go back and be a part of the program and be around the team and get their physios and strength and conditioning trainers to like get me back on the right track and in the meantime have a break and learn to love it again i didn't even think that was an option i just came home yeah yeah that's,
0: that's the odd thing like that you know only really knowing you for the last couple of years obviously but there's one thing that's just not in question or doubt about you is your love of the game and it's not confronting but it's just odd to hear that 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 love wavered because of the you know, the role of the player and how long you had done it. And that's all you knew. So it, it's crazy that, you know, and it's probably not talked about enough, to be honest, just the grind of, you know, a lot of people who play the sport that they grew up loving, but because of the demands that come into it. I mean, especially um, not to jump too far forward in our conversation, but some of the guys that we we see now in the NBL one traps, they they come off, uh, they, they play the NBL one season within two weeks they're off to England or they're off somewhere else. And there's, there's not a hell of a lot of, it seems more of a nine to five grind. And, you know, some people very, very fortunate and lucky with the job they have, but a lot of people just have to get through their nine to five. So I'm so appreciative. I'm glad that you're sharing that about it. There's just like, it can be a grind when you have the quote unquote dream job.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, And just having to be honest with yourself that it's okay if you're not enjoying it for this period of time and it's okay to have a rest and go back to it when you're ready. Like I didn't even have that train of thought in my mind. I didn't have anyone around me to even uh, encourage me to think that way. I yeah. just thought it was all or nothing and then yeah. I just went back to nothing and just came home. And having said that though, like it was great that I came home and I could just learn to play for fun again. Like I just played social comp and yeah. got to play different positions at social comp and then I played state league again. So I could still play a little bit but not feel like it was a, a chore, like it wasn't such a big responsibility. And I think at the time of the Caps too, I think what – and this is purely my – uh own responsibility but having said that i was like 21 so i don't know you don't know anything (laughs) when you're 21 um i used to get already super nervous when it came to aba and so going into the caps i used to get even more nervous um and i think that i i definitely regret not speaking to someone about that at the time about performance anxiety about managing my nerves about um changing my thinking around certain situations in that environment because I honestly think had I done that then and there I would have played for longer yeah as long as as long as Graffy would have me I would have played because the other (laughs) sting to it is that the Caps won a championship the year before I was there and then the year after when I was supposed to go back so I could have had a championship if I went back
0: look I I don't want to call it but it does sound (laughs) like you're a bit of a jinx I'm sorry but
1: (laughs) I am. I know I am. <laughs> this is what I carry around with me all the time. I don't even. I don't even wish my friends luck when it was NBL One Finals anymore because all the teams I was uh, supporting and wishing luck, they lost. So I'm like, okay. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything anymore. I'm a jinx. Um,
0: oh, okay, no worries. So come NBL One season again, just when it comes to finals, <laughs> if the teams I go for. Um, I don't know what I'm being vague about. It. I've spoken about it before on the podcast. My podcast, I can say go Senators, but if they are I'm just going to get you to wish luck to whoever they, they're versing. Just like put out yeah. a tweet or something for me um, and we'll work something out there for it. But um, obviously then getting the getting the break and, and being able to go back, um, whether it was state ball, um, pick up games, that sort of, you know, that just for want of a better term, like kind of like the purest form of the game, really. Like just on those courts, just people playing for that passion, that fun, that social aspect. Um, you still you still played for quite a bit longer as well, but um, we're going to fast forward a little bit here because um, I could genuinely just like chew your ear off about your career, but we will need to transition talking about the WNBL and sort of that the league. But um, you did transition into commentary, um, so um, tell us a little bit about uh, when that happened, how that came about, and so and obviously you know, where that sort of stopped the line in terms of even playing at that level and then moving into commentary and, and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so like after I finished playing, as a lot of players naturally do, they go they gravitate towards coaching because again, that's something that like is almost expected Yeah. or like, it's kind of like, yeah, that's just what you do. Um, so I, I dabbled in coaching, but I only came to commentary actually not too long ago and it was kind of by accident as well. So I did play a couple of seasons of NBL one before it was NBL, like, you know, just the years before it was technically NBL one here in New South Wales. Yeah. And uh, we performed really poorly. So there was no way of us making finals. So when it came to uh, finals weekend, basketball, New South Wales put on their Facebook page. Oh, look, we're going to be streaming the games. Um, is anyone interested in learning how to commentate or commentating the games for the live stream? And me being me not having that kind of conscious of thinking people are going to listen and I'm going to get judged. There was no social anxiety (laughs) didn't come into my thought process at this stage. I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do that. So um, I did a grand finals weekend. I think it was maybe 2018. Uh, Anyway, did that and it was really fun. And I got to do it with one of my good friends, Rachel Herrick. And Rachel Herrick was also at the time doing the Sydney Flames games uh, for the YouTube stream because this was at a time when the WNBL wasn't didn't have a TV deal. Yeah. So by the next WNBL season and Rachel went back to commentate, she invited me to do a couple games with them. So that's how I kind of like properly got into commentating when I did some Sydney Flames games in that year. The, that was the 2019 WNBL season. And then COVID happened and I didn't commentate at all. Okay. So I was just getting started and then it all stopped. And then how I got back into it was one inaugural MBL 1 East season being last year. Um, LJ announced that she's coming back to playing in like round three. They were playing the Crusaders on my home court. And I was like, just had this fear that I wouldn't be able to get a car park or a seat to be able to see lj to play i was like i have to see her play how can i worm my way into guaranteeing i have a seat in (laughs) the stadium and that was through commentary so when nbl was about to start i did contact my club representative very early and say hey you need commentators make sure you call me because i I really want to commentate for crusaders make sure you call me never called me So then in the meantime, we've got a new GM. I don't know who he is. He doesn't know me from a bar of soap like every other person at the club does. So I had to, like, prove myself that, no, 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 I, I know how to commentate. I know the game pretty well. Can I please commentate this weekend for LJ's game? Luckily, the guy they already hired knew me from Sunday scrimmage, like yep. knew me from our regular pickup and vouched for me and said, yep, she'll be great. And that's how I got back into commentating. So it was only really last year. That yeah. I got back into it and started to properly refine it as as a craft, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you, LJ, for so many things, but getting you back involved and uh, and uh, not something I would call out on commentary. But thank you to the parking potential struggles of your home court. There, thank <laughs> you, was that concerned about it? Um, <laughs> but obviously, you know, I was going to say obviously you know what you're talking about. Um, but um, how do you think the the actual transition and the experience i should say of being a player has helped with with your commentary because and we spoke about it before we we started recording it's one thing to have the knowledge but to actually then parlay that into being a entertaining and an educational broadcaster how do you think that sort of playing career helped marry up to to make you the commentator you are at the moment
1: oh massive help because me as a player um I was very, I tried to be, I was quite textbook as a player. Uh, you know, I was very methodical and quite black and white, you know, when we do the the drills when you're a junior of learning to read and react properly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that was like the right and wrong answer, like to a math equation for me. That's what you had to kind of live by. So me as a player, I was always very textbook, very, um, by the book, I had a reasonable IQ as a player. So I feel like that was a, a pretty good asset to have as a commentator. Yeah. And because I had the background in coaching where I was on the other side of having to implement certain things at certain times for depending on the context of the game, I think that also helped uh, being a commentator because when my co commentator Hamish wants to throw to me in the last minute and a half of a one point game, you know, Squin, what ah, what is the coach of the Crusaders going to throw in here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm able to pull something out of my my bag of tricks, so yeah, certainly helps having that insight. It's almost like a exercise in empathy as well, sometimes because you've been a player in those and a coach in those situations, and you have just that deeper understanding of what to look for and what to expect. In certain situations, Um, but it means you look at the game as with a whole different lens. Being a past player, in particular, because when I watch a game, I'm looking for what defense are they playing? Who's playing well? What type of how are they guiding the pick and roll? What Mm. offense are they running? That's how just how I naturally now watch a game because that's how you know what you do as a player. So it's really interesting when you meet people like yourself through commentating or alternative media who have a different relationship to the game and how they see it. I think yeah. that's, that's really, really cool.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, because um, X X players, they have that really analytical brain and they can sort of um, spell out to the, the, the layman for want of a better term, just why that occurs and what, what that sort of structures are in place. And I think what, and, what I like about your commentary, especially the the commentary during the NBL one East final, I was speaking about this before as well, just that, that um, the bounce off rapport that you have with your play by play that you can analyze what's happening and then throw it back to them. And, and it spells it out for someone who's watching along. Whereas if you've got a commentator who, who knows what's happening, but can't articulate that, then it's tough for me to get, you know, build an understanding as a fan and, and sort of go, now I can see why that happened. What could be next? Whereas, you know, I think that's why, as much as it it hurts personally because never being an ex-player, um, I might try and find an NBL one squad spot somewhere, but it'd be as akin to Stan Polderlack from Space Jam trying to get a gig. Um, it just, uh, it it just is uh, better to have those players with that experience there, um, being able to spell it out, having been in the proverbial trenches, but, um. Speaking of commentary, um, what what have been your highlights in those last couple of years so far as a caller? Any big moments, games, um, experiences that you were able to have with uh, being on, a, I guess, a different team now rather than being a playing squad, but in that broadcast team?
1: Yeah, I think the first being that game that got me back into commentary where I got to commentate LJ on my home court. It was her first game back. It was on my home court and it was LJ. Yeah. And you Know she hadn't been a part of the game for a long time, I hadn't seen her play for in the flesh for a long time. So, even when she walked past our commentary table, it was like it was like you're looking at like a, a other world, like a being from another world. Like, you kind of <laughs> like, I don't want to, it's like staring at the sun. Like, am, like, am I gonna burn my eyes out, like staring at the sun kind of thing? Like, it was yeah. so weird. So, that was really, really cool to say that I commentated that LJ's like one LJ's first games back. That was great. I think the other big highlight was when we went to NBL1, the inaugural NBL1 Nationals as commentators. Yes. Like no one can take that away from us to, for us to say we were the first people to commentate NBL1 Nationals and I was the first female to commentate NBL1 Nationals, yep. the next being Laurie Chiswick. And, uh, you know, she's pretty good. That's a pretty Chiswick. illustrious company to keep. <laughs> she's someone who I, you know, growing up, watching the wnbl on abc on a saturday sunday afternoon yeah. seeing laurie chiswick every weekend when she would commentate those games i always looked up to her as well for mm-hmm. that role that she did but funnily enough never thought that that was a pathway or an alternative to staying in touch with the game for when i didn't want to coach anymore because coaching's not really my thing to be honest um but yeah so then we got to meet laurie chiswick that's yeah. how you and i got to become friends and know each other but that was a perfect unique situation where I got to meet other commentators who were better than me. So I could learn from them. Yeah. Um, it felt like it was a great accelerated, like educational course of this is all the ways that you can improve your commentary um, mm. just by learning from others. Like Matt Hickey from South is probably one of my favorite commentators to work with and to listen to. I learned yeah. a lot from him. I really, I know I beat it up on Twitter sometimes, but I really feel like he would be great commentator for the NBL. So I hope he gets that opportunity.
0: Yeah, um, agree But
1: just the relationships that we made, like, honestly, one of my highlights from NBL One Nationals was when we got to watch the finals together. We all had this instant bond with each other, and then we're just eating free burritos, enjoying great <laughs> basketball. Like, that is perfect. That is my ideal Sunday afternoon. Like, that was that was a great highlight as well.
0: That's it, and if you know, you know you got your mismatched uh, um, burrito socks on at the moment as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> there were, uh, that was there was a bunch of awesome freebies there, but yeah, I echo that completely. Um, I really think that that feel and vibe around that first nationals. Um, I think there was, and and this is absolutely no knock on the you know I was fortunate enough to be part of this year's nationals here in in Dunedin, but um, I think there was a little bit more time for that commentary group to sort of bounce off each other and sort of share, um, that, that knowledge and, and just even that, just that love of the game. And as you said, um, everyone was there seated, um, for those finals and, you know, tried not to show our allegiances, but when WA went two and two, it was, <laughs> I I could just strut around like, um, you know, like a peacock about it all. And, um, just quickly cycling back as well, Laurie, absolutely. Like, um, amazing human being she was so giving on commentary of not only because she she was the uh the big cheese um so i i was fortunate enough to commentate with damien um on the women's um national final and just like she could have easily come in and just run the show and just went cool i'm just gonna you know let these not not i'm not gonna put damien in this boat but let these amateurs just you know when i want them but she was like how do you guys want to do it let me work with you and it was just like being under like a commentary learning treat. it was it was absolutely amazing. Um, what do you think the biggest challenges are at the moment in terms of um being being commentary of the m b l one um, and sort of where you are with your development in, in your commentary game?
1: Um I think my biggest challenge at the moment is that's a good question, actually. Um, I think unfortunately, the Sometimes the the challenge, but I guess in the same way, is when you're going to really hone your craft, is when you have to commentate games that are blowouts every week. Yeah. That's really hard. There were definitely periods there where the Crusaders, whether it was the men or women's team, it would be a bit of a blowout. They weren't really showing a lot of guts or courage to try and get back into the game and that kind of stuff. That makes it challenging. I think in terms of... um, I have to say opportunities in in New South Wales to, to take your commentary in a different direction and improve your broadcasting skills overall are quite limited. So I really like how Basketball Queensland and NBL One North, they have two or three commentators sometimes on a game. They do... They have, especially at finals, they had a press press conferences, like post game press conferences. Okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes they had sideline, and then sometimes they had post game interviews too. So, those opportunities to keep honing in some craft, I think, is really important. And I, that's they're not opportunities really provided by Bathbourne New South Wales, just yet. And I think every club in NBL One East. I would encourage them to start thinking about those things, particularly if you want locals to come and watch your team on a weekend and invest in local basketball, you have to put content out there that people are going to be able to relate to. So actually, I feel like my biggest challenge at the moment, and I'm going to sound probably a little bit shady saying this, but I have said this to our GM, to his face. I'm like, we have to create more online content. We have to Hmm. um, give... Our fans, whether they're existing or whether we want to attract new fans, because here on the Central Coast, it's very much footy heavy. So being a winter sport, we're competing with rugby league, rugby union, um, soccer Yeah. Um, So we're already going to be down on the list when it comes to that stuff. So we need to start providing more online content and meaningful content because it's actually, you know, players' stories and the the behind-the-scenes stuff that is going to be more meaningful for people to watch and therefore going to make people more interested to come and watch the game. So I've said that. I think the biggest challenge is that me and my co-commentator, Hamish, have expressed so much... um, Want and like uh, we we keep volunteering our time. This is the stuff we want to do with you guys. When can we do it? Let's plan it. Hey, if you need help with emceeing an event. Hey, if you need help with doing some post game interviews, we're there. And they just don't take us up on it. So it's very limiting in that way, and that's probably the the biggest challenge, which is purely selfish, really. um <laughs> I
0: wouldn't say but that, but it, it's I yeah. just feel
1: like there's a bigger opportunity for branding and content, and for us to. Uh, improve more skills but also just provide another pathway for the girls I used to coach at Central Coast Academy Uh, I don't coach them anymore I still want to for them to see, hey commentating and broadcasting and media is another option if you want to stay involved with basketball so I want that to be I want our club to have that opportunity to be um, you know at the forefront of that
0: yeah, for sure, and and one of those things that you know, in terms of content production and uh, that other media that that you've really taken to like a fish to water is, is podcasting. So not one, but but two, and um, you know, encouraging others to podcast. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but um, yeah. So you've got two current shows on the go. Well, not one because obviously you know the season's done, but uh, for he's got game. But tell us a bit about your shows and, and how they came to be.
1: So yeah, so podcast. This is where podcasting and commentating actually cross over. So the time I was doing the Sydney Flames games in 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 2019, when they were just streamed on YouTube, uh, Mary and Paul were responsible for providing the online stream, yeah. um, and that's how I met them. And Mary, they are the same Mary and Paul who produce and co-host Shoot in the Breeze. So that's how I got involved with podcasting, something, again, that I'd never thought of doing because I probably wasn't really involved heavily with basketball as I am now compared to like when I was then. So they had shoot, they started shooting The Breeze during COVID because they wanted to keep the conversation about WNBL and women's basketball still going. So they started a podcast and they invited me to join them for a couple of episodes during the Tokyo Olympics Yep. and they said, "Look, if you if you enjoy it, why don't you stay on and stay as a co-host?" And so, two years later, two two and a half years later, almost, I'm still there. For 150 the shows.
0: One one fifty 150 still one five one.
1: 150 shows. We've there. just done our 150 shows, and we are on a very well earned break because the last 12 months for basketball and. The podcast was a lot, to be honest. Yes. And it, again, it was one of those situations similar to when I was at the Caps, where everything was just going so well. Even though we know we knew that we needed a break, we had we just had too much FOMO to say no to opportunities, so we just kind yeah. of powered through it. But yeah, now we're on a well earned break, and we did 150. We've done 150 episodes. Um, So that's how I got involved with Shooting the Breeze and that's been really, really great. Like I never knew all the opportunities that would open up uh, through a podcast and, again, not really realising that a podcast is a great way to stay involved with basketball without having to be a player or a coach or a referee or a score table officials. Um, And the, the the plus side, similar to a highlight of commentating, is that I've made a whole other network of peers and friends and weirdly everyone connects online because you see people's profile of like oh they commentate here they have this podcast so you have your own little niche local basketball community through alternative media yeah but you know what it's like I mean random people on social media you don't know what they're going to be like in real life but we're just <laughs> really lucky that everyone is legend so yeah, yeah. Um, but that's how I got involved with shooting the breeze and then Eastcott game, Lockie, who is our friend, also commentated the inaugural NBL1 Nationals and he commentates with Sutherland Sharks in NBL1 East. Yep. We have known each other for a long time through basketball. He used to have a blog called Sky Blue Hoops where he used to cover uh, ABA when I was still playing and literally was a thought, middle of the night thought, where I was like, we should do a NBL1 East podcast. I should get Lockie there to do it with me. And I just messaged him and say, hey, do you want to do this? And he's like, yes. And that was it. (laughs) That's it, yeah. (laughs) And the rest is history. So, uh, yeah, so um, we just wrapped up that season. MBO One East doesn't get a lot of coverage. So organically we found a niche as well in the ever-growing podcast market. Mm. Um, And it was really, really cool because... A, people actually listened to it, so that was cool. That's always a uh, plus. That's always (laughs) a plus. But also, we didn't realise until finals weekend that heaps of the coaches in the league listened to it. Uh, The coaches talked to each other about the podcast. Um, The players were really getting into it. I think a lot of players reached out to us on our Instagram page just saying, we really appreciate someone covering our league for a change. So a way to unite A league in that way was totally unexpected but it was a very nice feeling that we were able to provide that
0: yeah for sure and I think what shows um like that that are conference specific and comes to NBL one and there's a a couple here in WA that's um you know I I wasn't going to jump on any toes with that one because it's like we've got a, a bloated market already here but I think what it does do is exactly to your point there those players and coaches who um don't really have that that coverage obviously or that exposure as as the wmbl the mbl or, or what have you but also a chance to talk about something they're so passionate about i mean um the conversation i had with chloe on episode one of this one um just like she was saying this is the first time she's ever been able to go into sort of that much depth and talk about those things that that matter and then leading up to finals and just getting into the mindset of people and and then if you fast forward as well to like things like the nationals or, you know, what have you, you know, the amount of times that I, I listen to your podcast listen to big dogs, um, podcasts up North, um, um, obviously. And then the fast break radio over here just to get that extra insight, not just sort of like quotes, but that, you know, that feeling of what the, that player or that coach was thinking. And it's just, it's just better for the community, which is awesome as it is, but you know, it's, something that I was um, I'm not sure if you saw this post, but um, James O'Donohue on um, on Instagram, one of the photographers uh, out east there but um, he was saying that his MBL1 content seems to get more engagement and I think that's partially because of the the company he keeps yes, but that MBL1 community is a super passionate fan base.
1: Yeah. And he's one of the few, I, first of all, great photographer. Oh yeah. Um, so that helps, but also.
0: <laughs> it does definitely help as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Being, being a talented photographer helps. Uh, and he does also, he has now started to book gigs doing um, like uh, the new like the season photos, you know, individual yeah. photos ahead of season. So he, he's built relationships that way as well. But Yeah, I did see all those posts and um, that Instagram story, how he was kind of trying to seek people's feedback as to why they think that might be. Not as a good or bad thing, just purely out of interest because he's he's a pretty curious guy. Yes. But it was because no one else is, well, I shouldn't say no one, but very few people are um, covering NBL One East as photographers consistently and pushing themselves to create great content uh, that the East, we you know, that represents the East and the East players and um, modern content. Where something like someone like Picks by Tray in South does a really good job of doing those mm. kind of frame by frame type um, in motion kind of pictures. Oh, yeah. and stuff. I love that stuff. But yeah, I think you know James and the other one is Aaron uh, from North. He's coming up, but James has consistently always supported the East and always put up content and will sometimes have players, I think, reach out to him and go, oh, hey, can you take some photos of me or something? Yeah. But I think that's why they're so popular is because no one else is covering it. And yeah. it just gives the players an opportunity to feel like that they're being seen and showcased because we do have heaps of talented players over here, but oh, yeah. no platforms to promote them. So I reckon those are no-brainer. I was like, that's why his NBL 1 content is so much more popular than his NBL.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so I... I... I didn't get you here on false pretenses. I swear, you know, I have managed to get you to chat about yourself for a good portion of time, but now here's the part where I'm just going to get my notebook out. I'm going to put my, my thinking cap on and I'm, I'm here to be coached. So even though you're getting away from coaching to do commentary, you're coaching again here, Squin. Um, I am disgustingly ignorant when it comes to um, the WNBL. Um, as I think we've spoken to uh, about off air and previously, I, I, I love the game of basketball, especially in that 90s golden era of MBL. but I um, sort of fell away from being like a real um, active consumer of basketball until I was fortunate enough to get back involved. But one of the things I'm blissfully, not blissfully, disgustingly ignorant about is the WNBL. I mean, when I thought of WNBL as of two years ago, I'm going Tell me more about uh, Tully Bevilacqua or or Michelle Timms. That that was the extent of my knowledge at that time. So I'm here to learn more and I'm here to pass on the stuff that you're teaching me to my listening viewership, um, which doesn't make sense because they're not viewing this. So um, it's time to be coached up on WNBL. We're going to start nice and broad um, um, on the current state of the league and whether or not you want to sort of talk about the evolution of it, of, to how we get to there, if that's uh, how you'd like to, take me in uh, underneath the learning tree by the old turnip plants.
1: Yeah. So, hey, pal, let's talk WNBL. Hey, so current state of the league. I feel like the league, all things considered, is still in a relatively good place. I think the talent coming into the the, the 23, 24 season, that's going to kick off in three weeks. Uh, We're up for another really, really good season. Uh, We have currently eight teams in the WNBL um, those being Perth, Adelaide, Sydney, Townsville. And then there's four Victorian teams, uh, Bendigo, Southside Flyers. Oh, sorry, three. Bendigo, <laughs> Southside Flyers, Melbourne Boomers, and then the beloved Canberra Capitals makes the eighth team. Yeah. Uh, there have been times where there's been 10 teams. So when I was playing WNBL, there was a pretty similar roster. There was still Adelaide, Sydney, Canberra. Um, Townsville Bendigo, um, mm-hmm. and Perth Links, so we still had those teams when I played. But Dandenong Rangers were a long standing WNBL club, they're now the Southside Flyers, so yep. they were still involved, but just as Dandenong Melbourne Boomers are back then known as the Bulleen Boomers. Um, and there was also a team from Christchurch that played, and the AIS <laughs> was still in the competition as well. So that's we had 10. But from my knowledge, the WNBL even went as far as having 13 teams once upon a time. Yeah. Um, but what we need to remember about, so some of the things I'm going to share with you about the WNBL are some uh, pinnacles in the league's history. So I think it's really important for people to know that the WNBL is actually the longest standing women's professional league in Australia ever. Um, it's about to go into its 44th season. Wow. Yeah, it's been going on for, like, next year will be 44 years that the WNBL has been running, which is incredible. Um, It's, yeah, the longest sporting league. Some of the past teams uh, that were in the WNBL, especially when it first started, were places like Glenelg uh, Glenelg in Adelaide. Uh, Nunna Wadding, Brisbane used to have a team. I mean, Logan also came back in the league once upon a time, but were short-lived. As we mentioned before, Perth had a lot of different identities over yeah. the, the course of the league. And what I learned today actually preparing for the episode was that Bankstown, Bruins used to have a team, the WNBL, which is a long-standing club here in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, and then around the height of basketball in the early 90s, so in 1994 Australia hosted the Women's World Cup in Sydney and around that time... The Bankstown Bruins were still in the WNBL, but uh, were acquired by whoever owned the Kings. And that's how they became the Sydney Bruins. And then they became the Sydney Flames. So that's how the Sydney Flames became what they are. It started at the Bankstown Bruins, which I didn't know. Oh,
0: wow. Um,
1: But some of the things about the WNBL that stand out for me again, heart of 90s basketball. uh, The Adelaide Lightning were probably the most prolific team in the 90s. They won four championships. And they were coached by Jan Sterling, who coached the Opals um, up until very recently. She was the high performance coach uh, with Basketball Australia. I think she only stepped down in the role like a couple months ago. Yeah, that was very,
0: very recent. Yeah,
1: very recent. That team <laughs> also had the likes of Rachel Spawn and Michelle Brogan, who are some of the most iconic Australian players ever. Yeah. Um, all having long-standing careers. For, uh, Sydney Flames also won three uh, titles in the 90s. One of them, they also they went through the season undefeated, and this was a team that had like Michelle Tims, Robin Ma, Trish Fallon, Shelley Sandy, who's and now who? Shelley Gorman. Yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, I don't think kind of gets talked enough. Like going through a professional season undefeated to win a championship, like that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Because like, um, yeah.
0: obviously, semi-pro um, Bendigo did that this year um but yeah like that's unbelievable because if you look at all the biggest win streaks and seasons that have that have happened across any code there's always one that gets dropped there's just one where they're not quite on or you know someone gets them on the hop because they're the hunted but to go through undefeated geez
1: and this was in a time when you know that that Bendigo Braves team that won NBL one undefeated like fantastic like that was that was really, really something um, like to admire. Yeah. But that team would have had four, five times the budget
0: that, that yeah, Sydney
1: team did in the 90s. Yeah. Um, the, some of the MVO one South and North teams have a really big budget, which is great. But, yeah, this is a time when, you know, uh, people were still working full-time jobs. Uh, they certainly weren't practising, you know, doing team training every second day. And plus weights as they do now um and then this was you know so many players who played for the opals and won and won us medals at world cups and olympics for years on end well except for the 1992 olympics the opals actually didn't qualify for the 1992 barcelona
0: games that's insane like yeah like that's unbelievable to me that we we couldn't have qualified
1: yeah. Yeah. Especially when we had, you know, the likes of um, Michelle Timms and Rachel Sporn and those yeah. uh, players in the mix. But uh, that's when they started to take the Opals program a lot more seriously and reshape it. And Tom Ma came in as head coach and just reshape the whole thing, the whole Opals culture, what they stand for, um, what they're going to embody. The whole ethos was reshaped once they didn't qualify for the 92 Olympic games and, uh, they've been, Opals have been so successful ever since, right? Yeah. Um, so also um, something I would like you, like to mention about the WNBL history was that the AIS used to be a part of it up until I think maybe 2011 yeah. and they won only one title and that was for the 98-99 season. And it was this team and this grand final game that made me want to go to the AIS.
0: Okay, why is that?
1: Because this was a team. Well, a they won the cha- They won the title. So that I was mean that good. helps. Yeah. Um, this was a team that had Penny Taylor, Lauren Jackson, Kristen yeah. Veal, yeah. Belinda Snell. Um, I think Dee Butler was in that team. Maybe Susie Bakovich was in that team. This was like a young team of legends that won a title, and I think they actually beat Perth. They beat Perth Breakers in that final.
0: I like how you pretend you didn't know there. And you just, like, <laughs> just build it up there, just twist that knife in a little bit more to Perth fans. We get it. East Coast bias and all of that.
1: <laughs> um, but it was just what I remember from watching that game was how composed they were at the end. And I remember Kristen Veal, you know, Perth breakers were in foul trouble and Kristen Veal at the end of the game, you know, when you've got a foul to try and get a possession back, to try and win, but you're giving up free throws. Kristenville was so composed and she just keep making free throw after free throw um it was so impressive and so that's when i was like right i want to make the ais and uh that was probably my most um probably my favorite wmbl moment yeah
0: well for a nuffy like me because um you know obviously some of the names have gone through the ais but um how, how did that work in terms of them being part of the, the pro competition? Was it a sort of an age restriction? Cause I know the NBL won last year, again, different levels of league obviously, but they flirted with the idea of having the, the COE as a wild card. And then this year they were part of the East conference. So with what sort of um, caveats or restrictions or how did the AIS team function in the pro comp or were they just, you're just a team, I guess.
1: Yeah. From my knowledge and from my memory, they just function like every other team. Yeah. So they'd have their home and away games. Um. Yeah. Same schedule. Just yeah, had a franchise, was just,
0: so to speak. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Crazy. Pretty much. It's just like a regular club team.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. Um, mm. But yeah, obviously, you know, things have changed tra- and they they've now been out of it, I think um, 10 or 11 years, as, as you mentioned, but yeah, um, yeah. So the, the games continue to evolve. Obviously it's a, a, a lot more easy to access from those times as well. I mean, we, you spoke about it early in terms of with um, Laurie and the, you know, the ABC coverage and, and how that was the access to the game um, probably a decade or so ago. Um, but now we're starting to see things like it being on ESPN and and sort of uh, broadcast. I think it's nine who've got the, the ancillary rights as well. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a lot more exposure or a lot more accessibility, I should say, to the to the competition.
1: Yeah, in theory, I think so. Definitely, I think there's still, I feel like, um, a lot of media coverage for the WNBL still relies on alternative media that is primarily uh, organized and uh, created by fans. Yep. So, you know, not to toot our own horn, but shooting the breeze is certainly av- always advocating for women's basketball being a women's basketball podcast.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we, I pr- we could probably safely say that there probably isn't a lot of podcasts like us in Australia kind of doing that with this women's basketball. And yeah. if we weren't there, what would the alternative be? Yeah. Um, and it was it's good to see Megan Huswaite is now getting opportunities to write more regular uh, articles for ESPN yeah. but I think the danger with ESPN or any kind of big thing like that is that um, it has the the vulnerability of being buried amongst everything else ESPN and if you're going for clicks um, you would have to be a basketball fan that follows Megan Hussweight to probably know that she's put out an article. Yeah. Um, so th- I think the challenge is still getting on mainstream media in a sense of you know, having a match report in a major newspaper publication, going on uh, a news outlet website and having a headline there. Like I don't, we're still not at that point yet. Yeah. Um, And I think what's really unfortunate about that is that, but WNBL isn't privatized like the NBL. So it's so easy to compare the two because, you know, one's the women's league, one's the men's league. They all yep. started out the same. But now the NBL has been privatized. It's a whole different beast on its own. Course, and even yeah. if you compare things like how it's broadcast in terms of how many commentators they have, the halftime show, the sideline commentary, um all of that game day experience stuff, it's two mm. totally different beasts and that's purely because one's privatised and one's still owned by Basketball Australia.
0: That still wrinkles my brain because I remember last year asking the, uh, the the Twitterverse or the Xverse as it would be, but that just sounds like the number's deleted on my phone, but... Um... That like why there was such a difference between when I was trying to do research on WNBL seasons versus NBL seasons and why that didn't sync up with the platforms that we have for the NBL one. And it still wrinkles my brain that, that it hasn't had that um, that investment or that privatization in line with the NBL. I mean that you would think that if basketball Australia had their drillers, that they'd be able to try and link the two or at least, you know, get more exposure and money into the the WNBL but you're right there is still that night and day difference in terms of the the presentation.
1: Yeah and we were talking off air around how NBL1 creates a lot of different pathways and you kept mentioning N for WNBL but in my head um, you know you see NBL and WNBL as the brother-sister leagues but it's actually more on paper NBL1 and NBL are the brother-sister leagues because it's all run by the same people, the branding's the same, the type of content that they want to produce and the players they want to highlight is all the same. Mm. And the WNBL is just over here sitting on the bench. Um, and that's not any fault of the, of the league per se. Yeah. I think one thing that um, you need to know about the WNBL and perhaps the wider basketball community is that the WNBL is run by one person. So just there one. isn't a, just one person. So the head of the WNBL is Christy Collier-Hill. Yeah. Um, and when anyone is the head of something, you think they've got a team under them, but she is it. So, wow. yeah, yeah. It, that's, to me, reflects. So, like, hate hate to take the negative angle, but if you're Basketball Australia and, you know, how talented our female basketball athletes are locally and internationally. Like, you know, the Opals are still ranked number three in the world. We have so much depth that we didn't even take our World Cup team to Asia Cup and still came third. We came third behind China and Japan who took their full-strength teams. Um, So we are – but Australian women's basketball is probably the most underrated sport, I reckon, because we are so talented locally and internationally, and yet our governing body – does not provide the resources and the support and the funding that it deserves to say like, you know what, this is really, really good. We're onto a good thing. Let's invest more into it. Instead it comes across that BA can be actually the one putting the ceiling on everything and not letting it grow, which is really unfortunate. And I mean, I think that is reflective in the fact that they only have one person running a whole league. So anytime Mm -hmm. we see on Twitter where, we start to get annoyed by the broadcast or the schedule or when the charity rounds are on or that it's not there aren't enough match reports or or you know why isn't the WNBL tweeting about X Y Z yeah because it's one person wow and it's completely impossible for one person to be doing all of that. There were times where we've talked to, we've talked to Christy um, on Shooting the Breeze a couple times and she's always been a great guest. She's very forthcoming and. She knows that we're not going to go to her and have a whinge about stuff, yeah. um, because we. Su- why? Why whinge about a league, and why create bad, uh, negative content about the league that you're supposed to be supporting? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, she's even. You know, when you see a news report on the WNBL website about a new signing, that's her. She's writing that stuff.
0: Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, that's
1: that's, that's insane. so
0: insane because I mean. Like if you look at you know um, just the the broader picture, I mean the crowds are, are, are there. They're coming. I mean I know it's uh, I know they broke the record last season. That was obviously um, heavily influenced with LJ in terms of a, a, a single match day attendance. But it seems as though that the crowds are actually there as well. So I mean you're getting that growth and you're getting that. And this is probably gonna. Um, open up a can of worms, which I don't think we can discuss today, but I'm definitely going to annoy you at a later date to come back and maybe speak about the issue more broadly. But um, women's sport is exploding here in Australia, and I don't know if it, it hurts or helps um, the fact that obviously the um, the women's Australian cricket team, I believe, and I've probably got my facts wrong here. I was right about the Coca-Cola thing, though. But um, that <laughs> they were, I think, the first... Professional athletes paid full time for, for women's um for a national contract it might have been them or the soccerers. I'm not sure. I'll get a fact checker when I can afford to get a researcher. Um, we're just a one person team here as well at HeyPow. But I mean, you got the the you know women's cricket exploded. Obviously, um, had the big World Cup um, three years ago. Um, AFLW starting to really get its momentum. You had the the amazing stuff and the amazing run of the Matildas at home as well. Do you think? It's a case of, uh, what is it, Um, rising tide helps all ships or it hurts that there's so much attention going to those other um, games coming in now?
1: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, basketball is probably seeing another resurgence, like another boost in popularity. So I think that's why, you know, considering Christy does everything on her own, I think that's why the clubs need to take a bit more responsibility when it comes to fan engagement and increasing um, attendance numbers and stuff, Yeah, um, which on itself can pose a lot of issues because, again, being professional clubs of women's sport, they're also going to be underfunded and under-resourced, right? So a lot of the WNBL clubs still have to rely on volunteers to try and do those things like uh, game day activation and um Promo and marketing and yeah. uh, all that kind of stuff. So you, I guess sometimes if you're a uni student, you can kind of um, take an opportunity to have an internship to get yeah, some real yeah. life experience on your belt. If you are going into sports management, marketing, social media, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know that stuff can't kind of last forever. And when you've got competing women's leagues like the AFLW in particular, who by comparison to the how long the WNBL has been running for is still in its infancy and it's already a household kind of name people know about the AFLW they may not know when it's on or the players or stuff but they know it's there yeah and they know you know when um, i don't know maybe it's bias of us to know because we're already involved in sport but you know when they have a pride round or something we know when it's on Yeah, but whereas WMBL doesn't have that, and I think we're missing a really good opportunity because we had the Women's World Cup 12 months ago, and we should have cap. We did capitalize on that in a sense, and like you said, with the return of LJ, attendance numbers, fan engagement went up like 300 percent or something. Yeah, Um, I feel like it could have been done more. But basketball is now, as a whole, is faced with a kind of a bigger issue in a way where there are heaps more kids. That want to start playing.
0: Yes. Like a
1: huge yeah. number of kids that want to start playing, but there's no venues. And so that goes back on the onus of local councils and whoever else to start building more venues so kids can play. Um, but then I don't know what is the responsibility of a governing body like Basketball Australia, who's supposed to be responsible for the support as a whole. So it's supposed to be responsible for the sport as a whole.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: From grassroots to uh not like playing for the Opals or Boomers to then go out to councils and say like, "Hey, we need to start building courts." Do you know what I mean? Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it does, and it's it's um it's it, 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 it is interesting because you know there's so much work that gets done um, behind the scenes with all sporting codes that isn't just your um your final product your final elite product. So I think you made a good point there. It's just like you build that you if you build it, they will come. And if you have that investment from the younger days there, all that access to playing, then you're going to get people who naturally invest in having heroes like you did when you had the basketball court across the road from you. You invested in an early age and that's where you got, you know, your first fandoms and your attachment to the game. Not saying that everyone has to go down that same pathway and end up becoming a pro athlete, but that's Mm. definitely how you get that attachment to a competition a team a, and players for sure and especially not only just the the physical stadia but you know those grassroots um um going out to schools and things like that are so big that it can't be overstated how important they are but let's take a look at this uh this season and um you know what what we're looking forward to here with the the season only a mere couple of weeks away um first of all what are you looking forward to this season and how does that tie in, I guess, with how you would best sell the WNBL competition to someone who's a, a neutral someone may not be aware that it is available there on those, um, you know, those platforms to watch.
1: Yeah. The WNBL is always highly competitive. I think there's only, you know, not even a handful of games season, a season that are a blowout. Um I think there was one game last season that was really unprecedented where Bendigo lost by like 40 points to someone. And that very rarely happens where there's yeah. like a 40 point game, even for Canberra last season, they really struggled, but they still found a way to win two games. Um, they probably had a couple of 20 point blowouts, you know, in the season, but they're still really competitive games. Like if you took the scoreboard away, you would still see a very highly competitive game and a, not so much be hard to tell who's winning, but no. it wouldn't be such a, a gap in skill level that it would become boring. You know, when you, sometimes at NBL one level, you have the top of the table, bottom of the table clash, and it's just a whitewash. Like it's just like a boring training kind of game. Yeah, You never, you don't get that in the WMBL at all. It's always very highly unpredictable, highly competitive. Um, no win is really a guarantee, I think, as we saw with the Caps last year, snatching those two wins um, during their season. Um, and what I'm most excited about is how much new talent is coming into the league. So something going into this next... When it became free agency period, something I was trying to keep a close eye on was how many of our really talented college athletes were going to get picked up for WNBL.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I think something... Um, I, I guess, you know, like us, if you're not really in the know, we kind of forget that there's a whole bunch of Aussie athletes, um, male and female, playing college basketball. And some of them may have been Australian juniors or go to the COE or whatnot. Um, but, yeah, they go to college and you kind of forget about them or it's hard to keep up with them. Um, but there was a lot graduating this time yeah. where I was like, oh, I don't think there's going to be enough. Um, WNBL spots for all of them like where are they all going to end up what's going to happen so that made it exciting so someone I'm really excited for is Izzy Bourne she um, had four years at the University of Nebraska uh, over in the NCAA Div 1 she then played for the Canberra Nationals a little bit in the NBL 1 East competition and made a massive impact and then she signed with Adelaide because Nat Hurst was her coach at canberra for NBL one east and so now she's followed nat to adelaide lightning yep. so yep. players like um izzy bourne i'm really excited about um there's also taylor Mole, who's in the same team she finished college had an NBL one season got a wnbl contract so i'm super excited about to watch her um and there was one other oh alex fowler she had a great Uh, college career with Portland and she signed with the Caps. So there's lots of young talent that I'm really excited to see back play on home soil. And then we saw a lot of COE athletes as well sign some contracts. So Saffron Shields is going to be with Townsville. Jada Clark's going to be with the Caps. And Ella Gordon is a DP now with Bendigo. So just being able to um, see some of those young athletes that you knew were talented juniors. And now you get to watch them uh, and see how they go and how much they develop now at the professional stage. I always find that really exciting when you get to follow someone's career that closely. Um, But it's also the return of some really great WNBA talent. So Jocelyn Willoughby played for the Flames this year. She's re-signed to go to Adelaide. Um, Brianna Turner's coming back to Adelaide. Tiana Hawkins coming back to Townsville Fire. So all these Really good WNBA talent. Oh, Aerie, you got Aerie McDonald yep, playing yep. for Perth and Lynx. Like I I fell out of my chair when I saw that signing.
0: Yeah. She's
1: so good. And she's playing, you get to see her in your home court. Like how how privileged are we where we get to say that we get to see WNBA players and Olympians play on our home court week to week. That's, that's crazy.
0: When they they did the teaser there, that it was going to be a dream signing. Of course, the little pun towards the, um her WNBA side, which you know, I mean, I love love me a pun. But I'm just like, no, it won't be, it won't. Be, and then see that, and I'm just like, that's insane. And oh man, and you're right. It's and the access to the games here, especially in in WA, because we do the um the Lynx games at the Bendat Centre. You're right, close and personal to like this elite talent. It's it's absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, and it's great that, you know, Women's A League has just kicked off, and my Central Coast Mariners, for the first time, have a Women's A League team, and they had their first game this weekend. Huge crowd, which is great. And that's not a very big stadium. You know, it's 35,000, I think, people there. Or maybe, no, it can't be 35,000. 3,000. <laughs> not,
0: not, not a big stadium that holds 110,000 people. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, like, hold on, your uh, your decimals and your commas in the wrong spot there. Yes. Yeah. It was about 3,000 that went, yeah. which is still really good. Um, and you can still see the players kind of up close and personal, but not the same when you go to a WNBL game, mm. um, still playing – pretty like decent sized venues, but you see the sweat coming off their face. You can hear what the coach is saying in the huddle. Like that's how up close and personal you can get with WNBL. And tell me another league in the world where you're going to see highly competitive, highly talented league, where you get to see the sweat coming off their face. Like that is a very, very unique opportunity. So that's also a big selling point for me is why people need to go watch WNBL.
0: That's it. And you're absolutely right. I think sometimes as well, um, uh, I, I, I point towards uh, AFL as an example of this. Um, sometimes you have those bigger stadiums that aren't full and can be a soulless sort of experience. But if you get the right size stadia, the highly energetic crowd up close and personal, like you can get, with the WNBL. It's just you got a stew going. It's just a perfect combination. Um so absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better myself, which is why we got you on the show to to say it. Um you touched a little bit about the, the some of the players to watch. Um any other players or certain teams that you think uh um should be on the radar for someone tuning in there and whether or not that will tie into I guess any bold season predictions you want to throw out there and put your name on the line to
1: Oh, certainly Sydney Flames, Townsville Fire. That first game where they play each other is going to be such a showdown because both teams are loaded with scorers. So Townsville being the current WNBL defending champions. And I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch any of the final series um, between the Fire and the Flyers, but particularly some of the round games leading into the final series, the Fire were so well-disciplined, executing their half-court offence, like almost near perfectly. It was scary. Like they were scary to watch that was that good. Yeah. Um, if you can imagine watching the back of the clock where everything is working in perfect synchronicity, that was the Townsville fire. They were so scary good where I'm like, no one is beating this team. Um, and, and
0: then they and then they pick up Sammy.
1: Yeah, so they, they watch Carly <laughs> Samuelson. And pick up Sammy Whitcomb. And Alice Kunick is coming back to the league for the first time since I think 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Um, And she is a great player. She's been playing in Europe. So uh, Townsville loaded with shooters. They still got Tiana Hawkins, um, WNBA player who plays for Washington Mystics to come. Probably Mm -hmm. one of my favourite imports that we've had. And Townsville, then Sydney. You know, Sydney have got had their own issues off court, um, which we don't need to go into because no. uh, they're still ongoing. Um, but they have just completely reloaded. So they've got a brand new interim coaching staff, and I have to say interim. Yeah. Um, and But now they've got uh, Kayla George, Tess Magin, They've come from the Melbourne Boomers. Uh, They've got Dee Dee Richards, former WNBA player. She's signed up. Uh, They have Shanice Swain, Lauren Nicholson, Lara McSpadden, Vanessa Penis, also loaded up with a lot of great shooters. So I think that is, they're the two teams to watch and will very likely make the WNBL grand final. Yeah. Um, And those, like anytime they play each other is going to be the game of the week for sure. Yeah. Um, the other team you've got to keep your eye on, though, is definitely the Southside Flyers because they have a lot of team members who have played together for a long time. They're all very seasoned, very experienced players in the WNBL. So you've got your Beck Coles, your Carly Ernst. Obviously, they've got LJ, but they've also now signed Mercedes Russell is coming back. She's also a WNBL <laughs> player. She played for – pretty sure she played for Seattle Storm. So yeah next to Sammy Whitcomb and and our beloved Jade Melbourne Um, and they, and Leilani Mitchell's coming back. So already in that team, you have LJ, you know, who's the goat.
0: Um,
1: You've got Leilani Mitchell, who's played WNBA, WNBL. Um, She was, you know, WNBA most improved player. She's an Olympian Um, and then Mercedes Russell. So, I mean, you can't really sleep on the flyers either. But for bold predictions, uh, I reckon flames, flames Fire Grand Final Series. Yeah. Uh, I reckon Izzy Bourne's going to be Rookie of the Year. Um, and I reckon Aerie McDonald will has a good chance of making the All-Star Five. Um, and I'm gunning for Steph Reid to be Defensive Player of the Year because I feel like she was very, very close last year. Yeah. Um, but having said that, she looked like she went down with an injury in uh, the preseason game up in Brisbane. So hopefully she'll be okay for when the season has to start.
0: Yeah, and um, you did um, you did touch on, but you didn't mention my links, which makes me a little bit worried.
1: Oh, your links, <laughs>
0: um, your how... links. Yeah. Um... How are they gonna go? Because I mean, we made the semis last year. We 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 lost two Townsville, who obviously went on to go and take the whole kit and caboodle. So, you know, how, how are we gonna go? I don't like the fact that in an eight team competition they haven't come up yet in your bold predictions or you know, teams to watch stuff.
1: Yeah, there's been a well... there's been
0: a lot of change on the there's there there has been a real, I guess, overhaul of that
1: squad. Yeah, has been a, a an overhaul of that squad, and I feel like they had a bit of an overhaul three years ago, and they were slowly building, building, building. Um, you know, especially around when they had Jackie Young and Marina yeah. Mabry for that particular season, where you made finals. They have had a rebuild. Um, I think Perth Lynx fans need to be a little bit forgiving of that because it is a rebuild. It's going to always be very hard to replace someone like Sammy Whitcomb and Lauren Scherf and Taya Burrows. You know, those players don't really grow on trees. You do have Annalie Mailey though, so that is a big plus. I mean,
0: getting the MVP is pretty handy.
1: That is very handy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think Perth though, um, they already seem like they have a really good chemistry on and off the court and that's going to go a long way for them. Yeah. They're still going to be super competitive, but I worry that they're going to be one of those teams that will be competitive to a certain point and then the game will just kind of fall away from them by midway through the third quarter. I'm not sure if they're going to have the legs or the depth to keep up with some teams.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but the biggest thing that I like about Perth, whether it's this season or f- past seasons, is that they do a really good job of investing in local talent yeah. uh, to keep them in WA. So... Yeah, oh, Steph Gorman I know isn't actually technically from Perth, but yeah. the considering you know uh, Mackenzie Clinch Hoycart and Chloe
0: Forster, yeah, big star. big Warwick flavor there, which is always going to you know help me out and having an allegiance to something. But yeah, um they they definitely do, and um really big believers, and I think that also helps with how. Um, You know, I'm probably a little bit too ignorant when it comes to the other conferences in some ways, but having the head coach in Ryan Petrick be an active NBL one coach as well there. So he's got that front row seat, not only to the the men's side that he coaches there at Rockingham, but then the, the women's game as well. So you always do see him around casting his eye on the local talent.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, Ryan Patrick, similarly, with Shannon Seabom, they're both very good at putting the right pieces together. Mm, Not necessarily having a a giant budget to go out and just buy the best players and be like, all right, you guys are the best and we spend a lot of money on you so you have to win a championship. Uh, Both of them are very skilled at knowing particular players' strengths and how they're going to complement each other. And at the end of the day, when you've got to – very consistent and disciplined team that are buying into your systems and playing to their strengths, you're still going to be just as competitive and sometimes hard to beat when you're playing against a, a team that is loaded with, you know, WNBA talent and feel like they're going to win just because that's what they are.
0: Yeah. Well, I will be a typical Western Australian fan and, and hope that that uh, they do go on and, and win it all. And then, Uh, Like again, a typical WA fan, I will graciously rub your nose in it, but uh, (laughs) you make some good points and that's why you're the expert here and you've coached me up really well, not only on what to look forward to this season, um, but obviously, you know, the WNBL and um, where it's come from, where, where it's going as well. And with the lens with your, I guess, your career as well has really helped to shape that out. So um, before we leave the coaching part of it, any last words on the WNBL or something that you wanted to put out there to the the listening viewership for the season ahead or where the game's at right now?
1: I think sometimes um, people often ask me, what can I do to promote the game more? Yep. And to be honest, it is um, tuning in when it's on TV, turning up to games when you can and it sounds really superficial, but just sharing stuff with yep. your friends, with your family and even on social media, because I think people would want to get more involved in it or show more interest in it, but they just don't know when it's on. So if yeah. we just kind of give them an option and put the information in front of people of like, Hey, this is on, um, then, you know, if you share it 10 times, you might get two people to go. And those two people might get two of their friends to go. So yeah. it's just kind of about, Talking about it a lot more, um, and like I said earlier, if it's something that you enjoy and you want to support, and um, you know you're a fan of, you're always there's always going to be a part of it you don't like, and that you feel like is going to be better. But I encourage you that if you're going to engage online about the WNBL or engage with people face to face about it, don't make it negative. Yeah, <laughs> because. Yeah. If you want people to be involved in it and you're a so-called fan of it, then don't go and talk bad about it because it's kind of kind of productive. Yeah, um, yeah but just try and find conversations. I mean, going to a basketball game, even as a social thing, whether you know nothing about it or if you know heaps about it, it's still a really good day out. Um, oh, yeah. Because the, the atmosphere is always great. It's always going to be entertaining. Um, and as we know, the local basketball community is a very – great place to be and you meet lots of great people. So there's a lot of good to come out of it. But yeah, if it just, just keep talking about it, keep posting about it, find an excuse to go to a game if you can. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably all I would really add.
0: Yeah. And I agree hundred um, percent with, with our rules at NBL one level, you know, you you hear it um, sent out, I guess uh, internally to us as well. How that viewership number is really growing there at the NBL one level. So, and I think um, the NBL one socials team do a, a heck of a job um, promoting the content there and and having those shareable clips and things like that as well. So, um, there's definitely the market and the appetite for for basketball right now in Australia. So definitely. Can't can't echo your sentiment more there. Go out, chase down the the games, watch them, go there. Great family friendly atmosphere, or even just with mates. Couldn't agree anymore. Get out and check it out. You will not be disappointed. So um before we leave you today, Squin, um, thank you so much for you know, coaching me up and and also being dragged along on those false premise, uh, premises and having to talk about yourself for a bit. But um where can we find you and your shows online on the socials? Where, where do you want to direct people to so that they can be ready to go when you come back off hiatus there with the, the Shooting the Breeze and when Eastcott game is back in the earbuds?
1: Yeah, so for Shooting the Breeze, you can find us on Twitter or X um, at the Breeze Pod. You can find myself on the same platform, uh, S underscore squin, that's spelled S Q U um, I N. Shooting the breeze is on all like streaming platforms. So we're on Spotify, Apple, Amazon. Uh, so you can find us wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. Yep. Uh, similarly with ESCOT game, we are on most of the main outlets as well. Um, definitely Spotify, Apple, Google, and Pocketcaster, I'm pretty sure we're on, I think we're on Amazon as well. Now um, shooting the breeze also has Instagram. I think they're at shooting the breeze and escott game is the same we're at escott game uh, and myself on instagram is just jacinta just underscore govind um where i will just post all the time about women's basketball and basket women female as aussie female players etc so if that's what you're into and you want to stay regularly updated um i do my best to try and share as much stuff as possible to make it easy for people to get a, a good grasp about what's going on out there
0: yeah, without question. Um, you, You're one of the great followers on Instagram and social media because of just the, the deluge of information that you do send out. So it's very easy, especially for a, a numpty like myself, to um, be able to be across those things that are happening. I don't know how you do it. I think you've got more than 24 hours in the day because there was some sort of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff going on there because the amount of content um, that you point people towards um, – yeah, I'm not sure that you're actually sleeping. But, no, definitely can't echo that anymore as well. Make sure you're following Squin um, or Jacinta as well, just in case you get confused with. Um, and I'm not going to be in a glass house and make fun of you for having multiple names on social media. But,
1: uh, <laughs> I I've done that to myself. I deserve <laughs> all the roasting that I get.
0: But, um, yeah, definitely one that um, if you're, you're into hoops, you're into... Um, hoops of all sorts, not only WNBL and and the great um, female athletes um, representing Australia across the world. Make sure you're following Squin. And of course as well, um, the WNBL socials as well. Because at the moment, as we're speaking, they're right in the middle of preseason. They're doing the River City rebound up in Queensland. So there's a lot of basketball coming your way there, if that's what you're into, which I hope you are if you've been listening to us or if you weren't into basketball before listening to us today, that you've got a bit of an understanding and a appreciation and we can get you into basketball from this point onwards and if you haven't then you've been very polite to listen along and <laughs> still not be convinced but I think that uh Squint is a hell of a salesperson and has done a great job here today so uh again thank you so much uh really appreciate your time um I won't hold you too much longer here Squint but um I always love chatting to you whether it's hoops or not but um yeah your insight is unparalleled for mine in the field
1: oh no thanks he's for having me and let me I talked your ear off. So hopefully um, I didn't talk too much. Hopefully you don't have to edit too much either. um, If you, so like if you're inclined to do any editing at all, but um, no, thanks heaps for having me on and let me rant on about something that I really enjoy.
0: Oh, that's always the best guess when someone is talking about something, this is very passionate about, and that means a lot. So, and that definitely comes across, not just today, but in your socials, in your commentary and, and everything that I see of yours. So, um yep make sure you're following along with Squin. thank you so much for your time and uh yeah until next time we shall see you later bye pal bye pal what a fun chat that was and um just getting that insight from how Squin was first introduced to basketball as it was happenstance with uh with the stadium and then just her involvement throughout her career and, and the continued and current involvement as someone so heavily invested in the basketball community. It was really no one better I could think of to set the scene for the WNBL season. Now, of course, it all kicks off on the 1st of November, so make sure you're dialed in there following the WNBL on social media. Of course, if you've got that WA bias, you can look at the Perth Lynx uh Instagram and uh, X X uh, socials as well. I know that there's a lot of awesome stuff going on there, and it's gonna be a great season. Uh, we yes, because I clearly had a big part of it, but no, the Lynx had a, a, a pretty good showing at the the River City Rebound uh, over the weekend, so uh, really promising things there. And uh, again, a really good chat there with Squin really setting the scene. So thank you to her for uh, tuning in, and uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna. Uh, well, when I say we, again, it's just, just me here. Just just me and this ominous-looking uh, spider that's sort of giving me the side-eye. So it's really a team of two this week. But, um, yeah, I think we'll, both old mate Itsy Bitsy and me, will look to get Squin on throughout the WNBL season just to give us a, a bit of an update and uh, sort of progress and, and check in against her bold predictions as well. Because, um, you know, like the chivalrous person that I am, I... I only asked her to put her neck on the line as I stayed as neutral as Claudio Casignoli. So um, just because uh, we really did dive in deep there with that, chat, I'm going to put a pause on Help Me to Help Me this week. Uh, We are running a bit long, and um, I am also worried that Itsy Bitsy is going to launch at me. I'm not feeling super comfortable and safe in my own home at the moment. So if you hear of an arson attempt on my house, it's because the Spider has won. And uh, I can't be here in this property anymore. But uh, I gave you all the, the boring sort of shill stuff at the beginning of the episode. I won't repeat it too much. But please, again, if you liked uh, what we heard today, please let me know what the best part of it was. What um, really hit you about Squin's interview or, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, you'd like to know a bit more about as well um, in terms of I've got some really cool guests coming up in the coming weeks as well. Um, but if you'd like to be on the show, or if you've got a really good idea for a guest who might be keen to have a chat to coach me up on something, please, again, hit me up on all those methods that I said at the beginning of the show. I won't repeat them. I'm not annoying like that. I am annoying, just not like that. So, again, as we uh, get here to the home stretch, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back, same podcast channel, same podcast time-ish, next week on hey Pal. I'm coachable.